and welcome to Totally Unrelated. My name is Diana. And I'm Irina. And we're back with a book review. Uh, sort of. Uh, <laughs> what happened is I managed to channel Irina's rage once again into creating content. And I <laughs> figure we can get a decent two episodes out of this. So, Irina, what do you have for me this time? Okay, so this time I have The Righteous Mind. I mean, not just my own, but the book. The Righteous <laughs> Mind. Um, Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion, uh, written by Jonathan Hyde. And uh, this is one of those books that I hated before reading. Sometimes it happens to me. Uh, (laughs) uh, In in the case of this book, it was based solely on its fans. God, I hated the people that explained to me what this book was about. So, you know, I sort of started reading it in some sort of hate-read rage or some sort of thing (laughs) and it turns out it was not the book's fault that some of the fans were you know not the brightest and uh, Hyde even if uh, highly even if I highly disliked him in some interviews it was a lot more intellectually honest in the book than I was prepared to expect of him you know yeah I uh, also remember following him briefly on Twitter and rolling my eyes several times at his takes because he is very much with the freedom of speech on campuses and both sides are crazy sort of crowd but yeah as you said despite our ambivalence uh, towards him we're going to be quite uh, charitable to him in this episode I'm not even sure if you know charitable is the right word but I think we're going to be just <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, we're all about being just and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, it's called Mind, <laughs> this book. So, you know, so, yeah. okay. So all in all, this was an, um, a decent book. Um, I, mm-hmm. I do not have enough knowledge of the subject matter to say, um, you know, where the cracks in the science were in case they, they were. But the parts mm-hmm. that I actually know about were significantly decent for a book for the general public. And the parts where Hyde gives his own opinion are uh, quite obviously stated as an opinion. And the parts where his claims are controversial from a scientific point of view, he really takes the time to give the readers a heads up. So honestly, I don't think I can ask for more from a book. And um, I cannot stop myself from comparing it to another book that tackles a somewhat related subject, I mean, also ethics and morality. And the the book is called Moral Tribes by Joshua Green. And this book I started reading, you know, sort of prepared to like it. And I ended up, um, you know, wanting to smack the author (laughs) over the head because the book was an exercise in the author telling you that if you disagree with something he says, it's just because you didn't get it. Oh, you see, like that's such a wuss move right there. Like why assume people are stupid when it's just likely they are wrong? This is what we do, so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so anyway, uh, back to Hyde and the righteous mind. You know, as you said, you managed to bug me uh, to write, uh, you generally bug me to write because I I'm... very gently persuaded you to do so. <laughs> don't, don't, don't give me a bad re- reputation. I, I'm a very gentle persuader. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yes, but uh, it it is true that um, at least I, if you don't want me to use the we, um, <laughs> the royal we, <laughs> the royal way or the editorial way, <laughs> I at least needed a swift kick in the butt. I mean, 
we all do. And, you know, I can't help uh, the fact that you are at your most eloquent when in rage mode. I was uh, on the lookout for a possible triggering event. <laughs> and I found that in the guise of Abigail Shapiro. Uh, now, in case anyone doesn't know who she is, which is probably most people who are not as insanely interested in YouTube stuff like we are. She's a self-described conservative influencer and YouTuber. And she has gained a certain notoriety on that platform by annoying millions of view viewers with her ubiquitous ads. And uh, that's all fine, until one day I stumbled upon one of her clips that I knew would annoy the hell out of you. Well, and you turned out to be right. I mean, um, <laughs> um, I... I keep referring to her in my head as female Shapiro because okay. she has a brother, so you know. The much more famous Ben, yes, Ben Shapiro. Yes. And um, so, yeah, so um, the clip of hers was a review of the book, of Hyde's book. And, um, you know, I got into a rage and I applied um, pen to paper or fingers to keyboard or something like that. Yeah. And here we are. Uh, before we begin, uh, just a heads up, in case uh, you suspect we could be misrepresenting Abby's statement about the book, which is like, how dare you suspect us? But if you do, uh, you'll find a link to her video in the description. And more importantly, though, I would say it's a better use of your time if you read Hyde's book rather than view her clip. But, you know, it's your own time do as you wish yes i mean uh, if you if you're not sure if you're really interested in the subject please do listen to our podcast to the end but yeah i highly i highly recommend um, anybody to read this book yeah so the book has three parts the first part is called um, intuitions come first strategic reasoning comes second uh, the second part of the book it's uh, there is more to morality than harm and fairness and the third part, it's called Morality That Binds and Blinds. So the first thing I want to say about what Madame Shapiro and all the others that pissed me off got wrong about this book is that they kept referring or um, describing this book as a prescriptive book, not a descriptive book, which is actually what the book really is about. So it's a, uh, not a book about how things ought to be, but rather about how things are, at least to the best of our knowledge, right? Well, at least to the to the best of the way Hyde managed mm -hmm. to do his research. Yes, yeah. yes. I mean, I'm not even sure if the 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 get wrong is the, the right way to put it, because I, I feel for a lot of these people, they do it on purpose, mm. because it fits their narrative. Um, but uh, Hyde is not looking to tell you how to do morality the right way. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying he doesn't have the moments in which he tells his own opinion, mm -hmm. but um, that is not how he does the science part. So um, Hyde is more looking to tell how morality does us, uh, you know, that good or bad. Also, I have to admit that uh, Hyde had me at hello, sort of, <laughs> because in the introduction, he says this, people who devote their lives to studying something often come to believe that the object of their fascination is the key to understanding 
everything. Mm. And like, this is what annoys the shit out of me when it comes to, you know, like the Hararis of the world, (laughs) this need for this overarching big narrative that explains, well, everything through the tiny little thing that they previously decided upon. Yeah. I mean, we need, we might need to do an episode on Harari as well, although no, Yeah, I mean, uh, (laughs) unlike Hyde's book, which we both read, I don't think that I would prioritize Harari's books on my reading list, considering the the bad reviews, the the abysmal reviews you gave uh, to me uh, of his books. So I'm sorry we weren't doing a podcast way back when I read his books and actually took notes and everything. But uh, You, you still kept the notes, right? Of course. Okay, <laughs> you got the receipts. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, but um, I have to say that also in Harari's place, his fans annoy me even more than he does. So you know, it's it's usually the fanboys are 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 a part of the pl- problem, so to speak. I, I have to, I have to, I have to recognize, you know, in the spirit of intellectual honesty, that he has a lot of you know, fangirls who are just as annoying. Is it uh, Harari we're talking about or Hyde? Uh, Harari, Harari. Ah, okay, okay, okay. So Harari has a lot of fangirls also. So it's not just the fanboys. Oh, God. Yeah. 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 Well, before moving on from Harari, I have to say that the dog, my dog, is uh, joining us again. (laughs) So if you hear any, you know, weird... Scratchings and... Scratching, screeching. (laughs) Barking. It's it's my dog. And I... I don't know if I should, um, you know, make myself uh, that much of a geek and tell people the name of my dog. Oh, should I? Yes. <laughs> I mean, my my dog is called Sam, uh, and uh, he has a brother, Dean, and uh, well, they are just the two puppies, and they are called from the brothers from Supernatural because I am a geek. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm lame. Moving on, <laughs> part one of Hyde's book mostly drives home the idea that um, moral intuitions arise automatically and almost instantaneously, long before moral reasoning has a chance to get started, and those first intuitions tend to drive our later reasoning. And Hyde says that moral reasoning is a skill we humans evolve to further our social agendas, not to find the truth, to justify our own actions and to defend the teams we already belong to. And um, in part two, this is where Hyde presents his research and introduces the idea of foundations of morality. What are the things by which we measure certain actions as being moral or not? Or rather, uh, do we use the same instruments to do so? He tries to argue that there's more to morality than the ideas of harm and fairness. You know, even though he clearly likes um, um, these foundations, you know, even for his uh, personal morals. The point he is driving home is not about whether we should or shouldn't place in the morality basket more issues than harm and fairness. The point he is making is that for some people, there are more issues they associate with morality and uh, they do so beyond their own control. And no matter if some of us, you know, roll our eyes or protest, this will continue to happen. So for some people, liberty, loyalty, authority, and sanctity also come into play when they assess uh, what is moral. Part three of the book is where he tries to show the usefulness of being aware of the information from parts one and two. And uh, here is where he tries to explain, you know, especially in the US, the difference in um, 
liberals and conservatives. He tries to explain that when we talk to someone else, and even when we address a group, we must not think that they perceive moral issues in the same way as us. And we must not think that we can convince them that what they see as moral values are somehow outside of the realm of morality. The only real way forward is if we take the time to realize what our partner of conversation holds as actual moral values, and we try to address those issues in a way that they will recognize. And also here in part three, Hyde makes a more controversial claim that humans also evolved to have group morality, but he puts this you know, into perspective and uh, notes that most scientists are not on board with anything other than individual evolutionary traits. Mm-hmm. So, Madame Shapiro, because she's, <laughs> she's the one who started she, this. She, she is the trigger point, yes. She's the trigger. Madame Shapiro starts her discussion of Hyde's book with uh, part three as a way to teach her audience, you know, how to talk to liberals, as you were saying, you know, conservatives versus liberals, mm-hmm. the death match. <laughs> the eternal struggle Mm -hmm. so not even two sentences into the presentation and i already disagree with her because (laughs) no first of all she says this Hyde is a liberal which you know he might as well be if we think about uh, the european standards but he's definitely not what conservatives and reactionaries in the united states say when they mean liberal i mean i mean i, mean, I think the 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 main uh, point about this is that they are very fuzzy about the definition of liberal i think it's sort of a catch all term for all the people they disagree with many a times because they get uh, specific in their definition only when convenient so absolutely and uh, you know Hyde himself did not say in the book uh, what she says well she says that uh, he wrote the book to teach liberals about conservatives and just for accuracy that was the dog just for accuracy (laughs) I would like to quote uh, from the book um, where Hyde actually says why he wrote the book and he says I have tried to use intuitionism while writing this book. My goal is to change the way a diverse group of readers, liberals and conservatives, secular and religious, think about morality, politics, religion and each other. Mm. Yeah, I, uh, like I mentioned before, hard uh, Hyde is part of the Ma Free Speech crowd and uh, has actually been invited onto several conservative-leaning shows. Uh, in fact, uh, Abby's much more famous brother, as we said, Ben, my wife, who is a doctor, says what pussies are a sign of infection, Shapiro, <laughs> had him as a guest on his show. And uh, uh, I actually found that he listed uh, Hyde's book among his top five reading recommendations for American conservatives. And, uh, you know, he also introduced Hyde as a former leftist. So, you know, as I mentioned above, it's annoying because leftist and liberal are used sometimes interchangeably, even though when convenient, even though when convenient, it will be pointed out uh, that they are different. Oh, yeah. I mean, female Shapiro gives definitions for words like liberal, leftist and some weird <laughs> words she made up, wokeist. Um, So it is so fucking amusing because she starts the discussion by saying that this book is important because it helps us understand each other, which, you know, is true. Uh, And then she plunges into a tirade about how wokeists 
want to tear down all conservative morals and start from the beginning. Like, you know, fuck knows what beginning, like the Big Bang, presumably, <laughs> I don't know. But she spends a good few minutes from a somewhat short presentation just to build this straw man of a wokeist and leftist and to make sure her audience cannot help but hate the group who, by, def by her definition, want to destroy everything that is common sense and that conservatives hold dear. Yeah, I think the point of throwing all these ill-defined terms into place, uh, you know, one, to muddy the discussion and uh, to to perform some form of divide and conquer on their opponents because uh, initially I be kind of love bombs liberals saying they are so much reasonable than the leftists and you know the other made up term <laughs> uh, leftists are basically just uh, you know another name for all the bad and scary things that you can think of they are eternal malcontents who want to tear shit down and tell you what to do because they know better. You know, basically they are Satan and they expect you to do a lap dance. But liberals, on the other hand, she says, they are just these beautiful fools that need the firm hand of a good conservative woman to spruce them up and, you know, get them to see the light. But if you are a liberal or one of those radical centrist types, uh, don't get your hopes up because soon enough La Femme Shapiro will cut you down to size two, you know, as soon as she's done using you to bash those pesky wokeists. You will have what's coming to, to, for, to you. Okay, so, you know, she, she, she clearly states that there is no point in engaging with leftists and wokeists before... <laughs> <laughs> wokeist. Yeah, wokeist. You know, because there can never be any common ground. It would be mm. hilarious, you know, the way she totally ignores the point of the book, if it wouldn't be for the fact that it is fucking scary what she does, you know, because she does mm. it on purpose. Then she, she, she presents this idea that liberals exist and are somehow different from leftists, but she doesn't actually explain how. I mean, clearly leftists are all that is bad, but what are liberals? Well, she doesn't really explain what these terribly different moral values that leftists hold that are different from liberals and conservatives are, you know, anyway. But if presu presumably, you know, she read Hyde's book, she knows that we all work from the same moral values. But hey, you know, fear mongering is an effective tactic. So why the hell not use it? You know, I hate to be that person. But it's a bit hard not to bring up what Abby's brother has said several times regarding this idea of reaching across the aisle and engaging with your ideological opponents. Uh, and, you know, sure, you can argue that it's not fair to judge her based on the opinion, uh, the opinions expressed by her brother. But, you know, if it fits, it kind of fits, right? So. Yeah. Uh, ben Shapiro has said several times that there is no reason for anyone with uh, right-wing or conservative uh, leanings to engage with those on the left unless one is in a position to publicly destroy them in a debate, you know, with emphasis on public. On their kindergarten level, okay. Yeah, yes, and uh, yes, and as you said, kindergarten notion of winning a debate because... I mean, unless we are talking about the very limited and specific case of debate clubs uh, and debate, you know, as a as a form of competition, mm -hmm. debates are not won. I mean, in terms of the outcomes of a debate, hardly anyone actually knows whether or not they 
won or lost because as both Hyde and eventually Abby acknowledges, people aren't impressed with your rational or reasoned arguments unless you manage to express your arguments using their moral values and language. And even if you plant some seeds in their minds, it takes time for those to bear any fruit. So, you know, circling back to Abby Dearest and her tirade, she too does this disingenuous ritual of pleading for more civility in our discourse and reaching across the aisle and blah, 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 blah. But it's just a meaningless gesture because she doesn't lower her guard even for a second to allow for an actual discussion. It's It sucks. It's just posturing. Totally, yeah. And, um, well, after after she does this, you know, this uh, extreme posturing and everything, <laughs> sort of summarizes um, a part of Hyde's book. Um, it's the metaphor of the elephant and the rider. Yeah, she does that somewhat correctly. The metaphor of the elephant and the rider means, in Hyde's own words, that the mind is divided like a rider on an elephant. And the rider's job is to serve the elephant. The rider is our conscious reasoning, the stream of words and images of which you are fully aware. And the elephant is the other 99% of mental processes, the ones that occur outside of awareness, but that actually govern most of our behavior. So um, Hyde actually takes the time to explain. And um, this is one of the, the reasons I like this book. And of course, this is the part that Madame Shapiro actually tries to bypass. The fact that um, the dichotomy between cognition and emotion does not actually exist. That um, this idea that uh, if we would only all manage to always use our cognition and not be emotional, all will be well in the world. Well, is bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> so Hyde says this, and I quote, after failing repeatedly to get cognition to act independently of emotion, I began to realize that the dichotomy made no sense. Cognition just refers to information processing, which includes higher cognition, such as conscious reasoning, as well as lower cognition, such as per visual perception and memory retrieval and others. So emotion is a bit harder to define. Emotions were long thought to be dumb and visceral, but beginning in the 1980s, scientists increasingly recognized that emotions were filled with cognition. Emotions occur in steps, the first of which is to appraise something that just happened based on whether it advanced or hindered your goals. These appraisals are a kind of information processing. They are cognitions. When an appraisal program detects particular input patterns, it launches a set of changes in your brain that prepare you to respond appropriately. For example, if you hear someone running up behind you on a dark street, your fear system detects a threat and triggers your sympathetic nervous system, firing up the fight or flight response cranking up your heart rate, widening your pupils to help you take in more information. So emotions are not dumb. Emotions are a kind of information processing. And contrasting emotions with cognition is this for, you know, is as pointless as contrasting rain with weather or cars with vehicles. I think it's uh, so difficult in many ways to think outside this notion of not just a duality, brain versus matter, reason versus emotions, but also avoid placing one above the other, you know, 
or in control of the other. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think this is basically, in a way, part of our, well, somewhat recent heritage because uh, it didn't really used to be this much of a given, taken as a given, the, the fact that people assume that we should strive to be as rational as possible as human beings or that somehow rationality was the number one defining characteristic to the detriment or to the suppression of emotion. Uh, but I, I'm, I haven't yet, you know, done enough reading on that point. Uh, so maybe that's uh, something for a future episode. But about this idea, um, I wanted to, to say that even if some people like, say, David Hume back in the day, Uh, pointed out that reason is and ought only to be the slave of the passions uh, and can never pretend to any other office than to serve and obey them. There have been people and there are still people who think it is otherwise or ought to be the other way around anyway. And it's no surprise because the way we refer to emotions is often so disparaging. Uh, there is a very limited area in which we deem emotions as being important, essential, and welcome. Uh, and otherwise, we use the word emotional often as an insult or a way to disarm and disparage our opponent. So Yeah, absolutely. And that is, that is why I've been annoyed by this for a long time. And, uh, you know, why the book had like... One more reason for me to like it. <laughs> <laughs> so Hyde also notes that uh, moral judgment is a cognitive process, as are all forms of judgment. So the crucial distinction is really between two different kinds of cognition, intuition and reasoning. And moral emotions are one type of moral intuition. But most moral intuitions are more subtle. Uh, they don't rise up to the level of emotion. So intuition is the best word to describe the dozens or hundreds of rapid, effortless moral judgment and decisions that we all make every day. Only a few of those intuitions come to us, you know, embedded in full-blown emotions. So when human beings evolved the capacity for language and reasoning at some point in the, you know, last million years, the brain did not rewire itself to hand over the reins to a new and you know inexperienced uh, charioteer. <laughs> Rather, the rider, the language-based reasoning, evolved because it did something useful for the elephant. The rider can do several useful things. It can see further into the future because you know we can examine alternative scenarios in our head, and therefore it can help the elephant make better decisions in the present. It can learn new skills and master new technologies, which can be de deployed, you know, to help the elephant reach its goals and, you know, mm -hmm. sidestep disasters. And most important, the rider acts as the spokesperson for the elephant, even though it doesn't necessarily know what the elephant is really thinking. <laughs> I mean, I think <laughs> this is the, the, the most important part. Yeah. Um, The rider is very skilled at fabricating post hoc explanations for whatever the elephant has just done. And it is good at finding reasons to justify whatever the elephant wants to do next. So once human beings developed language and began to use it to gossip about each other, it became extremely valuable for elephants to carry around on their backs, you know, 
um, a full-time public relations firm. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, f- the, the, the struggle of a public relations person is often that uh, they don't really know what the elephant was planning on doing or what they have done. And they just have to, yeah. you know, they are put on the spotlight and, uh, uh, but well, 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 well. <laughs> what my boss actually meant when he said that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like, that's exactly. So yeah. I must admit that I really wanted, you know, to quote all that from the book because, well, first of all, no way I could have done it justice by summarizing it, but also because of a personal reason, you know, uh, because um, I think it is such an important point and one that is ignored and um, that fact brings much problems. So Hyde himself points out that once you accept this dichotomy between emotions and cognitions, uh, society also, you know, has this um, tendency to say that the rational uh, part, you know, the, the rational people, the philosophers, the scientists, because, you know, this idea goes, you know, way back mm. Plato, if you, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, in, in one way or another. It just so happens that a philosopher thought that the best people to run the, uh, the city or the country would be philosophers. I don't know, it just so happens. <laughs> so, you know, so, so society has this, uh, this tendency to, to place these people um, and to put them in a position to have more power. And it usually comes along with a utopian program for raising more rational children. So um, if it's one recent mantra that pisses me off is this idea that all problems will be you know, solved by education. Mm. If all the world would be filled with educated people, whatever the fuck that means, because I don't know, but if only it were so, the world would be such a great place. And uh, Hyde explains how it is a good thing to strive, you know, towards a system that seeks good reasoning, but to never trust just one person to be the bearer of all that is truth. Mm, yeah. On the topic of uh, the rider and the elephant, uh, I get this weird feeling, and this might just be me, but I get this feeling that when people like Abby describe the idea of an individual led by emotions with a sort of front-facing rational interface, they don't really think that it applies to them as well. Of course not. <laughs> uh, you know, the whole facts don't care about your feelings thing, uh, you know, as if facts on most things would not be pursued and interpreted by people with certain emotional backgrounds. My guess is that the same group either doesn't understand uh, or just makes fun of the idea of emotional triggers. And this seems just weird. I mean, just like Abby, they can reproduce the idea of the rider and the elephant in their own words, but I sort of doubt that they really absorbed it because they dismiss you when you try to tell them that, yes, certain words, images, events, and uh, memories trigger powerful emotional reactions that then influence the reasoning of, uh, you know, people you might interact with daily. So, you know, the the elephant might be triggered. (laughs) Uh, and I think the reason uh, someone is a snowflake, you know, which is basically a 21st century equal opportunity extension of the notion of female hysteria, if you ask me. Yeah. So the reason why, you know, some people label others as snowflakes is not because they are inherently emotional, because we all are like constantly 
And, you know, it, this again, we, we, we come up, uh, up against this whole idea that emotions as a general thing, they are bad things to have. And we don't even talk about, okay, but like, what emotions? Because why are, are just all emotions a bad things to have bad thing to, to feel or to have and the distinction i think for people that we identify as triggered in my opinion at least uh, is that uh, they are on the defensive so they feel under siege uh, threatened physically emotionally or in terms of their identity and values and you know oftentimes rightly so and that activates a different set of reasoning tools so it's not really that they are unreasonable or irrational but rather their rationality their sort of rider uh, right the PR firm on the back of the elephant mm -hmm. is tasked with something different uh, and to that point I think it was another book we both read uh, Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow that noted how often you have to be careful about the differences between the question you're asking someone and the question they are giving you an answer for. I, I don't think he was referring to emotional triggers specifically, but personally, I would argue that the so-called irrationality and emotional responses of people when triggered are at least partly due to this, maybe. <laughs> uh, the trigger, I think, sets off a series of questions that sort of override that of their interlocutor and then their reasoning uh, efforts are redirected uh, toward tackling that threat but you know this is just my personal opinion well yeah no i i i i, I don't have any science to back this up <laughs> no, I, I i i agree with what you say i mean at least for some people i'm sure that that's that's how it happens mm -hmm. but um, you know me being the more cynical person of the two of us I, I don't really think what you say in the beginning is necessarily true, you know, that um, the people that um, like, like Abby, that uh, they um, dismiss you when you try to say something about, uh, you know, triggering emotions, they don't dismiss you because they haven't actually absorbed the notions and ideas. They dismiss you because it doesn't fit what they want to do. And they dismiss you because they want to hurt you. And they have to dismiss the fact that people would agree with the fact that, look, I'm doing this thing and I'm actually hurting you. Mm -hmm. So I have, to, I have to dismiss this hypothesis so that I can keep doing it because I'm actually making money out of that. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's my more um, cynical and from Constanza opinion. <laughs> <laughs> so... Coming back to the delightful diabolical way in which Shapiro tries to manipulate her audience, I have to quote Hyde again, just to show that Shapiro never intended to actually stick to the core points of the book. So this is what the book says. If you really want to change someone's mind on a moral or political matter, you'll need to see things from that person's angle as well as your own. And if you do truly see it from the other person's way, deeply and intuitively, you might even find your own mind opening in response. Empathy is an antidote to righteousness. Although it's very difficult to empathize across a moral divide, somehow explaining how leftists and wokeists and whatever other ists are <laughs> I, I i don't think that like 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 
putting them in some sort of completely different realm uh, than conservatives. I, I don't think at all that, you know, Shapiro was, you know, being truthful uh, when, when, when she said she wanted to um, uh, actually explain this book and uh, give people a way to talk to each yeah, other, you know. all people should get along, but not all people are people. <laughs> this exactly. is, this is exactly. the, the, the age-old trick, yeah. Exactly. So... I will get on to Shapiro's rest of the video, but we, I want to point out one other thing that I think the book does well. And um, that um, it underlines that the most likely way to change one's mind, it's through interaction and not by being all alone at home with your big brain and just arguing with yourself, thinking really, really hard from your armchair. Uh, but the main way that we can change our minds on moral issues and, you know, whatever other issues is by interacting with other yeah, people. Yeah, exactly. I mean, now, you know, I think that there is a caveat to that. There are people who, I would say, don't deserve your emotional uh, investment and time uh, if they, but, you know, if they demonstrate sort of repeatedly that they just argue in bad faith. And if they are the sort who... Uh, willingly support and voice ideas and poli policies that end up hurting you or your loved ones, you know, just can't reach everyone. And the whole idea of a conversation requires both parties make an effort. So, of course, not not every two people talking is a conversation. Yes, yes. But if you are in an okay place emotionally, uh, and once you figure it out, uh, you are not engaging with other sh utter shitbags. Uh, yeah, by all means, try and talk to people, even if you feel they are wrong and that their values feel alien to you. And I would say, don't expect to change their minds <laughs> because, oh my God, you have these galaxy brain arguments. Uh, mm -hmm. because as, as we just discussed, probably your reasoned arguments won't reach them. And even if you discover the language through which you can communicate to them, it takes time to change. And also don't expect them to change your mind necessarily. Of course. Having a conversation can clarify some of your positions by having them uh, come up against others. And also uh, just realizing that it's possible to not get others so to speak to not really understand of course, them of course. but still if you manage to remind yourself that not everyone who doesn't feel the same way as you do wants to harm you because those are different things you know you can uh, we can have different uh, values up to a certain point and coexist and you know whatever uh and uh so you know just make sure you you train yourself to view others as human as much as possible absolutely and and just always think about the fact that just because somebody explained their point of view and they didn't change your mind it's not because necessarily you are right mm -hmm. and just because you did your best in arguing your point and the other person didn't change their mind it's not necessarily because your arguments were bad yeah. <laughs> so yeah. yeah yeah i mean oftentimes we just know that i mean it's even something we say uh, that, oh, you will know it once you've had that experience, that life experience. So we, we already know that 
you know, for instance, if you're someone older and you tell uh, a younger person that, oh, you know, you should do this and that, and they just sort of brush off your advice and you tell them, oh, well, when you're my age, you will you will understand, right? So we already know that some of the knowledge or some of the things that sort of might change people's behavior or change their mind requires them to live through certain experiences, even though it can be argued that the same experience can have very different outcomes in terms of the impact on someone's uh, sort of value system or, or how they view the world. But anyhow, we do recognize that it's not just about argument A, argument B, and then conclusion. Absolutely. And, you know, we are terrible at seeking evidence that challenges our beliefs. And other people actually do us this favor, you know, just as uh, we are good at finding errors in other people's beliefs, they can find the errors in ours. Mm -hmm. And um, I had to point this out because I just finished reading a book about the history of modern philosophical thought. And the book was full of actual, actual (laughs) smart men that thought that they could solve, well, the world from their armchair, you know. And very, very recently, like that was the thing to do. You you didn't do any experiments. You didn't actually, you just thought about things really, really hard. Yeah. I mean, if patriarchy did one thing right, it was ensuring above average levels of comfort for guys who were sciencing every day by means of cushy armchairs. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And also the book uh, points uh, to one other of my pet peeves, you know, which Mm. I have many, Um, (laughs) the the people that tell me, how can you say, how can you say that uh, person X is an asshole? Like maybe you misunderstood. (laughs) You're taking them out of context. Most uncharitable shame on you. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, I always try to explain to people and, and I realize that I don't do a very good job. I try to explain to people that I try my best to keep myself open to the possibility of being wrong but that everybody has an opinion about everybody and everything instantaneously and i would just be lying if i said you know that i can watch something and just keep myself like some talk of you know some some sort of chalkboard uh, that's still you know just black <laughs> nobody here nobody has written anything yeah. on it until now and you know and and until when Presumably until I have all the information that that I could ever, ever need to assess something. But, you know, we we, we never know when that point is. That that is exactly why the brain works like this. You just keep adding and adding information. And every single time you add something, you have an opinion. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, that's how the brain works. And uh, Hyde tries to explain this, that the brain uh, evaluates instantly and constantly. You know, this reminds me of that thing that some people tell you, like, don't judge me. I'm like, Mm -hmm. what? (laughs) I mean, I I understand, you know, I'm being cheeky now. I I, I understand what they mean by not judging them. But also, as you said, you always have, you cannot uh, suppress your uh, brain thinking something Mm -hmm. about someone. And, And, you know, sort of, the thing that you can do is realize that, oh, okay, well, I'm being horrible now because I've just assumed this or maybe that I've made a harsh judgment based on something that is very limited in terms of the information or maybe, you know, of course, biases based on class, race, gender, etc., etc. Uh, so you can 
sort of, you know, have your inner dialogue with yourself about the snap decisions or intuitions or judgments you are making, but you're making them. I mean, of course, I mean, happening. this is not an endorsement on my part uh, for giving my opinion as, you know, some sort of gospel when it's actually just some half-assed thought. But it is an endorsement to accept that you have an intuition about something and then do your due diligence mm-hmm. to see there is actually something there and uh, but but, you know do this if the intuition is about something of importance of course because otherwise just fuck it like you know (laughs) you you feel like a movie is shit i mean there is no need for higher morals you know bigger big arguments and big reasons Uh, as long as you do not want other people to agree with you all is good because this is one other thing you know like People tell me constantly, like, how can you say that uh, the, that movie was bad? Like, what actually do you know about cinematography and directing? I'm like, fuck <laughs> off, it's bad for me. <laughs> yeah, I don't need to see it. I know, I know it's bad. That, that, that's how I know it. I watched it, you know? <laughs> yeah, although, although I think that, well, uh, as you said, it, this is a very healthy way to... <laughs> the, this is, I, I would say, a healthy superficiality when it comes to movies or things that are not really all that important. But I think the sad thing is that many people apply this sort of thing to uh, their biases against, that. like I said, certain racial groups, certain minorities, certain, you know, people with whatever, different, select X straight and then have a bias against that. Uh, and and uh, they do this like, oh, fuck it, what? No, I, I just saw this uh, article in a, with a clickbaity title that just confirmed something that I already felt. And mm-hmm. uh, while you want to have a discussion and you're asking for evidence and studies that support my view or not, nah, fuck it. So yeah, that's that's exactly what I'm saying. Every, when 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 I realize that the subject uh, is important and uh, it will have an impact on on other people that are not me, then I you know I try to shut up when people th- ask me you know well what do you think? Especially if sometimes people ask me and it's something I just heard from them and I'm like I have a feeling about it, but you know I'm I'm not mm-hmm. gonna go ahead and you know say what I think because I, I, I don't know more. To make life easier for for oneself, it, it's very important to to split things in things that are important and have <laughs> consequences in other people's lives and my own pleasures that I do not have to explain to you. And you cannot take the words good and bad from me because a lot of people, you know, you know the crowd, it's just your opinion, man. <laughs> <laughs> of course it is, but prefacing everything I say with is just my opinion. I mean, unless you think I just generally go around quoting other people constantly and in in the weird moment, I have to say this one thing is my opinion. (laughs) You know, everything is just my opinion up to a certain level. So Mm -hmm. yeah, whatever. I've, I've had this conversation many, many times and I think it's legit to say that a movie is bad and a a song is bad and everybody should take that as to understand that it's bad for you you shouldn't just have to repeat yourself it's bad for me it's bad for me because unless you're trying to ban it from radio or something (laughs) it just means you didn't like it and you will not listen Mm -hmm. to it whatever 
Yeah. Who cares? And I would also add that uh, as you are entitled to an opinion, it's good to remember that also you are entitled to not have an opinion. And by not having an opinion, yes. like we said, it's not about not thinking that you not processing. Oh, well, I do have thoughts about this, but like you are entitled to not voicing your opinions. I mean, I, yes. I and I would argue that even for public pers public personalities, if they're uh, if they're being asked about their opinion on, on something that is not in their area of expertise or area like, of expertise. Yeah. Or why, why, why do I need to know what I don't know, random singer or even some politicians think about, you know, as you said, movies or, or some some sort of media scandal. Or like, why? Why are they being asked about this? And then, of course, you know, one one once they do have their opinion, which is, you know, depending on which group you ask, okay or absolutely terrible, then you know, again, we get angry about that thing. Like, just <sighs> yeah, yeah. We could we we could definitely all. Um, have um, we could all just shut up a bit more? <laughs> yes, and but also be a lot more. Said the ladies with the podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, but not necessarily shutting up, but but be more practical. I mean, if you're listening to a politician and he's talking about how I don't know Nolan is the height of directing, <laughs> like that 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 is nothing about you know that has nothing to do with his <laughs> political views. Just be like bitch please watch more movies and then move on <laughs> <laughs> you're just wrong <laughs> yeah i mean it, it it's really important because a lot of people just based on a couple of things place other people into a box mm. the bad box or bad the box. good box and, and 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 also the people that are in the bad box they will struggle and struggle and they it, it's very hard to get out of the bad box but also the people in the good box when they will eventually not voice the exact kind of thought or opinion you think it's good you will be outraged like i put you in the good box like how can you betray me like good box you know yeah. how dare you be a complex human being who probably has a lot of room for improvement left <laughs> exactly yeah. yeah exactly yeah well on that note <laughs> i think we can pause here and uh tackle the rest uh, of the material in a future episode guys uh if you like this podcast we'd greatly appreciate it if you would follow us and uh even if you did a bit of evangelizing on our behalf by sharing our episodes that you like on you know whatever social media you might be active on uh, and if you have any suggestions hate mail <laughs> or just want to say hi you can write us an email or hit us up uh, on Twitter at uh, totally underscore related. Uh, thank you for listening uh, and uh, see you next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.